1: 1700 hours Central African time. Good afternoon and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa from an African Perspective. Broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. You can find us on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Magesi and I'm in studio with Jualani Toulon, Nosekla Zuma as well as Neto Chimani. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour, the DRC's Prime Minister, Sylvester Ilunga, Ilungkamba, is expected at the country's National Assembly tomorrow. The UN's High Commissioner for Human Rights says lack of tight security has resulted in the killing of at least 160 people in Darfur. And South Africa's Independent Electoral Commission is expected to publish the final regulations for the Political Party Funding Act. Right now though it is time for your latest news bulletin, here is Jolani Tullo. S.A.B.C.
2: News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective.
3: thank you samora good afternoon ugandan opposition leader bobby wine says security forces have not retreated from his house this is despite an earlier high court ruling this morning ordering the security forces to vacate his house where wine was under house arrest the young np had been abducted and arrested numerous times during the election campaign against president Museveni. wine is calling on african leaders to hold the ugandan president museveni to account
4: the silence Uh, from the African Union is speaking volumes, Um, the continued uh, complacency and uh, ignoring of the injustices that are being um, occasioned on the people of Uganda by General Museveni should be called out by the African leaders. We call upon them to stand practically for values that they always profess, the rule of law, the respect of human rights, and the respect of the principles of democracy
3: American pharmaceutical and biotechnology company Moderna says its COVID-19 vaccine produced vi- virus-neutralizing antibodies in laboratory tests against new coronavirus vis- uh, v- variants rather found in the UK and South Africa. A two-dose regimen of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine is expected to be protective against emerging strains detected to date. Moderna will, however, test a vaccine booster against the South African variant in pre- pre-clinical trials to see if that would be more effective in boosting antibodies against the variant and other future variants. Scientists are concerned about the mutations discovered in Britain and South Africa because they are believed to be capable of altering key functions of the virus. South Africa's opposition DA has given President Sororama Ramaphosa until the end of the day to table a detailed plan about the acquisition and rollout of COVID-19 vaccine or it will seek relief in court. Government has earlier said that the first batch of vaccines will arrive in the country before the end of this month and priority would be given to health workers. The party says last week its lawyers wrote to the president requesting transparency in the acquisition and distribution of the vaccine. However, the plan is yet to be made public. DA's spokesperson on health, Sivue Guahube, elaborate.
0: Because as of yet, we have not seen a full picture of how this vaccine is going to be acquired. How many doses are we looking at? What are the timelines for the arrival of the vaccines and whether or not looking at that plan, we will be able to meet our very ambitious target of vaccinating over 40 million South Africans. We are yet to receive this information and if we are not able to acquire it before the end of the day, the Democratic Alliance will have no choice but to approach the courts as a last resort for relief
3: British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is considering toughening the United Kingdom's border controls due to the new variants of the coronavirus. Johnson says he wants to make sure that the British population is protected against reinfection from abroad. He says the United Kingdom is on target to reach its vaccination targets for vulnerable groups by the 15th of February. And finally, the Special Operations Unit of the State Security Agency in South Africa was a law unto itself, according to former chairperson of the High Level Review Panel into the SSA agency Sydney Mufumadi testifying at the state Com- uh, capture commission Mufumadi says this his review panel which probed the last 10 years of the SSA's conduct found that many of the operations undertaken by the unit were unconstitutional and illegal
5: that unit was a law unto itself that is relative to the management structures of uh, the SSA because they were not reporting uh, following the, the reporting line, um, from what we were told, uh, some of the senior, pe- more senior people than uh, Lomo, for instance, would say we were not getting reports from the special operations. We were told that, you know, we report as special operations to the executive and therefore we can't report to you.
3: For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Chulo.
2: SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. perspective.
1: The Democratic Republic of Congo's Prime Minister Sylvester Elunga Elungkamba is expected at the country's National Assembly this Tuesday. He has to face MPs after they signed a motion of censure against him following the drc poor situation the age office uh heading provisionally the national assembly has invited him but ilunga's political platforms the common front for the congo fcc has said prime minister won't respond to a summons from an incompetent office
6: john obamweze reports from kinshasa The 301 MPs who signed the motion of censure have blamed Prime Minister Sylvester Ilunga and his government for failing to implement the roadmap he presented to the National Assembly. That's indeed what Sherwebe O'Kende, the motion initiator, told Channel Africa. The country is going very bad and it's only the head of government who can be held responsible. The first advice we gave to the prime minister is to resign. He refused. We are now left with the only option of calling him out to come and explain. Former President Joseph Kabila's Common Front for the Congo (the FCC) has warned the Prime Minister will not appear at the National Assembly to respond to any legal summons since the main mission of the eight offices to put in place a final office. Lucien Kasongo is an FCC MP. The Age Office is empowered to manage current affairs and to convene the extraordinary session to organize the vote of the final office. No other matter can be debated a badly given instruction and legally manifest can't be taken. We will fight since law is on our side. The political scientist Hiber Kabasubabu also believes the age office doesn't have the competence to register a motion against the prime minister and to hear him. Regarding Sylvester Ilunga's refusal to stand in the National Assembly, Kabasubabu believes that this will aggravate the current political Crisis.
7: The internal rules of the National Assembly are very, very clear regarding the duties or the missions or the functions
2: of the temporary speaker. The temporary speaker of the National Assembly cannot organize the impeachment of a sitting prime minister whose powers and mandates had been certified and approved and validated by a normal uh, speaker, elected speaker of the National Assembly. This is completely a deviation from the rules of the National Assembly, and there are already indications that the Prime Minister will not respond
5: to this uh, impeachment because it is considered as being illegal and anti-constitutional. However, the presidential coalition
2: will attempt to force the Prime Minister out, and this situation is extremely
5: dangerous because it is going to amplify the political crisis and
6: the Congo will run the risk of uh, drifting to a civil war. This happens while on Sunday, President Felix Echisekedi totalized the two years as the DRC head of state. After his coalition with the FCC broke up in December, he established the sacred union of the Nation as his new vision. Jean-Noel Bamise for Channel Africa in Kinshasa.
1: The United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights says lack of tight security has resulted in the killing of at least 160 people in a new wave of intercommunal violence in Sudan's southwestern region of Darfur. The commissioner says her representative is planning to hold what she described as constructive talks with the Khartoum government with the exp- express purpose of finding ways of stopping the violence once and for all and resolving serious human rights challenges in the country uh, that are being faced right now. James Shimanyula reports.
2: Speaking this past weekend from the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights in Geneva, Switzerland, spokesperson Ravina Shamdasan said,
8: We have received deeply disturbing information about two deadly incidents of intercommunal violence in Darfur over the past week. And we fear that the lack of security and chronic impunity in the region leaves it vulnerable to further serious violence. Between Saturday and Sunday, 160 people were reportedly killed. And 215 injured in clashes between armed men of the Masalit and Arab communities around the Krinding camp for internally displaced people in West Darfur.
2: The Masalit, an indigenous African ethnic group in Darfur, is one of traditional farming communities. The Arab communities that spokesperson for United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights is referring to, comprise Dafu's Arab-speaking ethnic communities. Explaining what triggered the killing of the 160 people in Dafu, spokesperson for United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, Ravina Shamdasan Said.
8: This followed the murder of an Arab tribal leader, allegedly by a Masalid man. Armed men from the Arab community then opened fire at the mostly Masalid IDPs in the camp and set many shelters on fire. In spite of measures by the governor of West Darfur to bring the situation under control on Saturday, violent clashes erupted between armed men from both communities on Sunday in the region, which also resulted in mass displacement. A nearby village was also set on fire. These incidents raise serious concerns about the imminent risk of further violence in Darfur. In an environment where decades-old ethnic and tribal tensions that were further stoked by the previous regime continue to fester, there are severe gaps in protection by state authorities, as well as a lack of accountability for violations. Local health facilities have reported being unable to cope with the high number of casualties.
2: Now, here is an urgent timely call by spokesperson for the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights to the Khartoum government.
8: We call on the government of Sudan to promptly ensure the full implementation of its national plan for the protection of civilians and to restore public order and the rule of law in Darfur. We urge the authorities to prioritize carrying out thorough and effective investigations with a view to promptly ensuring that individual perpetrators are brought to justice, to break the cycle of armed citizens taking the law into their own hands to avenge attacks on members of their communities victims and their families
2: have a right to redress. That was Ravina Shamdasan, spokesperson for the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. At this juncture, it may be imperative to bring to light the fact that the intercommunal violence that has occurred in Western Darfur is the worst for more than 40 years. The violence comes at a time when military and civilian authorities are sharing power in Sudan's capital Khartoum following the toppling of former President Omar Hassan Ahmed el-Bashir in April 2019. Be that as it may, the authorities in Khartoum are brokering permanent peace in dafu and other parts of the country affected by ethnic fighting the violence in dafu also comes less than four weeks after a joint united nations and african union peacekeeping mission known in short as unamid withdrew from dafu ending 13 years of peacekeeping operation reporting for channel africa this is james shimanula National Coronavirus Command Council has decided to enforce a nationwide lockdown.
9: A global pandemic, COVID-19. Several countries have scaled up their responses and put in place strict controls, including South Africa. Channel Africa Broadcasting from South Africa will continue to bring you news and current affairs during this period whereby a 21-day lockdown is effective. We will keep you updated and informed during this period as we bring you news and current affairs from an African perspective.
1: South Africa's Independent Electoral Commission is expected to publish the final regulations for the Political Party Funding Act, which President Cyril Ramaphosa has signed into law. The Act regulates public and private funding of political parties and it also requires that donations be disclosed by parties and donors to the Electoral Commission. It also prohibits donations to parties by foreign governments or agencies. Civil society organisations, My Vote Counts, which took legal action to ensure that the bill was signed into law, has welcomed the signing of the Act. The organization's spokesperson, Sheelan Clark, says the act will deepen citizens' ability to exercise their political rights from an informed position.
9: Um, yes, of course, my account, we, we, our organization started many years ago. We started with the sole focus of trying to uncover uh, the private and public uh, funding of political parties because there were no transparency. Um, because we felt that um, this transparency, knowing who funds our political parties, is crucial in, in upholding our, our constitutional democracy, um, in our right, um, our constitutional right to access the information. So we are really happy that this has finally been promulgated. Um, we've never had any legislation of this kind before, before political parties could get money um, from whoever, um, which obviously opens up uh, the doors to corruption, which we unfortunately have been seeing over the years in in South Africa. We are plagued by corruption, which then makes South Africans feel as though they cannot really trust our politicians. Um, So we are really, really happy that this uh, is finally um, leading us to, to a more a more open, a more transparent um, democracy.
5: Of course, uh, civil society organizations have uh, been critical about uh, the time it took to promulgate this act. Do you think if it was signed much earlier, it would uh, have made uh, much of a difference?
9: Look, if we had this legislation years ago, we would not have had a need for the state capture inquiry. that That is just a fact. Um, the act was halfway signed um, in 2019, um, but the president failed to promulgate the the, the date for, for implementation. If he had done that, we would have had um, this act um, in effect in time for the 2019 elections. Um, so we had missed that window. Uh, we are heading into the LGE, so we know that the IEC will be um, mandated to administer this. Um, They are ready um, to to get this information and to make it accessible to us. Um, So it is unfortunate that the president uh, took almost two years to sign this, but we are very happy that he did.
5: Just in terms of the loopholes that some have identified in this act, do you think the the bill, the Promotion of Access to Information Act, which Ramaphosa has yet to sign, will plug the loopholes that have been identified in the act?
9: um Yes. So in the TPFA there are loopholes, like for instance, the one hundred thousand rand threshold for disclosure is too high. Uh, but again, for us, the main thing is that this has been implemented so that we can actually really see how things work, where best we can, or how best we can plug the current loopholes. Um, The PIA Amendment Act that you just mentioned, uh, once that is promulgated, it will further strengthen um, transparency in that the PPFA, which was signed, mandates political parties to disclose their um, financial information to the IEC, right? And they will administer, they will record and preserve party funding um, um, disclosures um, in our country, and also to make available to South Africans. Once PIE is promulgated, that will mandate political parties to give, to put this information on their social media websites and the um, uh, websites as well, uh, which will then further give us the access to this information, which is our constitutional right. Now, how
5: significant is it, Shailen, uh, that uh, foreign governments or agencies are no longer allowed to make donations to parties under this act?
9: Um, Look, imagine, um, imagine I'm the South African government. You are a foreign government. You give me money. But then I must maybe do something for you, which really can really spell disaster for our democracy. It really can um, spell disaster for communities. So that's obviously the biggest, the biggest thing um, uh, from this Political Party Funding Act is that now parties are no longer uh, um, allowed to get money from your Russia, from your U.S., from your U.K. Only if it's for skills development though, um, and training. But, of course, it's it's very significant. You know, money speaks, eh? Corruption really is is really corrodes, especially like the African political system. And the PPFA will really help. It won't change things overnight, but it is better that we have this now something to work with and something that we can work towards cleaning up corruption and mitigating further corruption.
1: And that's Sheelan Clark, spokesperson for South Africa's civil society organization, My Vote Counts, talking to Kumbelo Mujalele. Many lessons have been learned in the past year that are directly impacting habits in 2021, particularly when it comes to financial security. One area where fiscal prudency has become paramount is in the retirement sector, with people now seeking ways to both protect existing savings as well as uh, to make it go much further. With the ever-increasing life expectancies and rising cost of living, it's always safest to put away as much as you can while ensuring that all measures are in place to protect one's retirement savings. Phil Barker of Renishaw Property Developments joins us on the line now to expand more on this topic. Phil, thank you very much for joining us.
10: Hi, Samora. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: Now, Phil, what's the biggest factor that one should consider when looking to retire, especially uh, in an estate?
10: Uh, you know, some of the, the factors, these are unusual times, and you need to start looking at things a little differently, reevaluate. And the biggest thing for all of us is, is planning, and financial planning is a huge one. Um, but I think when you, if you're looking at, in, at retiring in a gated estate, one of the things you've got to look at is to get into the best estate that you can afford and um one way of doing this is to have a look at a life rights model and a life rights model which we offer at runnishaw hills a type of life rights model is you get a discount up front but you sign a contract at the same time that you when you dispose of your unit you dispose of it to the developer at the same price you paid for it so that gives you a nice discount and it allows you to get in up front at a slightly cheaper price
6: Mm,
1: and uh is it important to consider the possibility of maximizing one's savings in these residential properties?
10: Absolutely. You've got to look after your money, you know, and, and another part of that is saying, look, we realize that I'm going to be on fixed income going forward. So I need to do proper planning. And when you're going into these villages as well, look for one that gives you an all-inclusive levy. So you know exactly what you're going to be paying in future. And, and that makes planning so much easier. And at the same time, um, look for an estate that offers a levy stabilization fund. So they're all different systems. The way we do it here is that when a person disposes of his estate, at, uh, of his unit at Renishaw Hills, a portion of the profit that he makes goes into a levy stabilization fund that helps to keep everybody else's levies at an affordable level that don't increase above inflation.
1: And uh, do you think the added costs like levies uh, are usually eternal for, you know, investees and what would you advise them with regards to that challenge?
10: In terms of, of the levies and so on, you know, really they are simply replacing your normal levy, your, your normal expenses, your normal monthly living expenses, such as security, such as insurance, such as maintenance of your home, etc., what it what it does when you go into a place where you understand that you have an all-inclusive levy, it simply makes the planning easier because it's always going to be the same price.
1: All right. And uh, how important is it for one to plan for healthcare during this phase of one's life?
10: So that's a that's a huge thing as you get older, isn't it? Everybody has uh, most of your medical expenses over your whole lifespan are in as you get older. So you've got to look at affordable health care. And um, the the affordable health care model that we offer at Ronishore Hills is a home-based care model. So you have professionals that are looking after caregivers that if you need one-hour's care a day, 12-hour's care a day, 24-hour's care a day, the professionals will be able to provide a caregiver that can give that at a much more affordable price than going into uh, a, a a hospital type situation that may be very expensive.
1: All right. And uh, is it possible to plan for inflation and how to overcome this inevitable issue?
10: I think Samora, you know, inflation is with us and will always be with us. So it's a matter of planning for it and working around getting doing things affordable upfront, like the Life Rights model, looking for the planning um, the fixed amount of an all-inclusive levy, looking for something with the levy stabilization funds, looking for affordable health care. All of these things help to cover the inflationary effects of living expenses going forward.
1: All right, Phil, thank you very much for joining us.
10: Thank you so much, Samora.
1: And that's Phil Barker of Renishal Property Development in South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal province in the south coast.
6: Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much.
4: Um, it's an honor to be here.
6: Palesa Mukubung, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without
9: Borders event. I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Right.
1: Government leaders in South Africa should take the COVID-19 vaccine in public to demystify myths surrounding the vaccine and show citizens that it is safe. This is a call by Oscar Mabuyani, who is Premier of Eastern Cape Province, as the province gears itself up to vaccinate 3.7 million people to achieve the mountainous task of defeating COVID-19. The provincial government says that it is expecting the AstraZeneca Oxford University vaccine to be distributed by the national government. Abongile Jankis
4: reports. The Eastern Cape government is ready and all systems are in place to vaccinate 3.7 million people in the province. This is 67% of the population, but excludes those below the age of 18. It says it will be carried out by 500 healthcare workers. The province has the highest number of COVID-19 deaths in the country at 9,510. Premier Oscar Mabuyan has urged people not to listen to negative theories about the vaccine.
6: We wanted to dispel the myths and conspiracies about the vaccine with the condemned they deserve. The pandemic we are dealing with is nothing. To talk about people must desist from peddling uninformed information about the vaccine we have health authorities in this country that will ensure we receive a safe vaccine that has gone through rigorous scientific analysis that has been approved by independent regulators for safety effectiveness and high quality
4: traditional leaders are also fully behind the vaccination process and have vowed to spread the word with awareness campaigns and communities. Provincial Contralesa Chairperson is Chief Mwela Nkonyana. Once the vaccination uh, is certified and we are all satisfied that it is really a vaccination, we will have to lead by example ourselves uh, to, to have this vaccination publicly so that the people can realize that it is really the, 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 the vaccination that uh, they need to follow. And more than above, uh, we will therefore uh, toll, tell our people and uh, counsel them and uh, to make them understand. Because, for, the, for, for instance, it's not for the first time. We did have many, many vaccinations before. A significant proportion of the province's population lives more than five kilometers from a health care facility. But most communities have a school nearby. Acting head of the Department of Health, Dr. Sibongile Zungu says they are addressing this matter.
3: What must be understood is that we're not going to store vaccines at a school mm. because the school is not a building for that purpose. Mm. But when we do roving teams that will be doing the vaccination, then the, these mobile services can be delivered at the school and also can a, a leverage on the other resources that are available at a school like electricity and water.
4: The first phase of the rollout is aimed at healthcare workers. Phase 2 will target essential workers, people over the age of 60, people with underlying health conditions that will increase their risk of severe COVID-19, and people in congregate settings such as prisons. The third and final stage includes all remaining adults. I'm Abungili Yankees in the Eastern Cape.
3: For your latest update on the novel coronavirus for Channel Africa in Mombasa, Kenya, I am Diana Wanyonyi. Droplets spread virus. By following good respiratory hygiene, you protect the people around you from viruses such as cold, flu, and COVID-19.
1: It's now time for your latest news headlines. Here's Joanne Ntulo. SABC News independent and impartial from
3: an african, from a african perspective, perspective. Good afternoon, making headlines. Ugandan opposition leader Bobby Wine says security forces have not retreated from his house. This is despite an earlier High Court ruling this morning ordering the security forces to vacate his house where Wine was under house arrest. American pharmaceutical and biotechnology company Moderna says its COVID-19 vaccine produced virus-neutralizing antibodies in laboratory tests against the coronavirus variants found in the UK and South Africa. And finally, the Special operation. Unit of the State Security Agency in South Africa was a law unto itself, according to former chairperson of the high level review panel into the SSA agency, Sidney Mafumadi. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo.
5: SABC
2: News, independent and impartial. From an African African perspective.
3: perspective.
1: Tentative signs of recovery are emerging in global labour markets following unprecedented disruption in 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. This is according to the latest report from the International Labour Organization, New Annual Estimates in the 7th edition of the ILO Monitor COVID-19 and the World of Work confirmed the massive impact that labour market suffered in 2020. To discuss this further, we are joined on the line by ILO Director General Guy Ryder. Guy, thank you very much to, for joining us and welcome to Africa Digest.
11: Thank you very much for the invitation.
1: Now, what does the latest analysis of the labour market um, and the impact of COVID-19 reveal?
11: Yeah well what we did in our report this time is to look back at the year that's just finished 2020 uh, and make the uh, make the um, the balance sheet of that and then look forward to the year that's just beginning and if you look back to 2020 the, the impact of COVID-19 has been absolutely extraordinary. Uh, we calculate that the hours of work actually undertaken in the world last year went down by 8.8 percent and this is Enormous. It translates into the equivalent of the loss of 255 million full-time jobs in the world. So we've been we're in the biggest crisis since I would say the 1930s. And what's interesting the, behind this figure of 255 million is only a small part of that uh, is evident in increased open unemployment. Uh, unemployment has gone up by 33 million, but much more than that. We see that 81 million people have simply become inactive, withdrawn from the labor market, Uh, often young people in that circumstance, and I think this should worry us a great deal. And other people are simply working less hours or no hours at all, but still remaining uh, in an employment relationship. So it's been a dramatic impact on, on labor, on employment. And I should add to these figures that income from labor, what people earn from working, it went down in 2020 by 8.3%. And, and, and that adds up to 4.4% of, of global production, $3.7 trillion. So it's not just a health crisis. This is also an economic and social crisis.
1: And which sector is most
12: affected?
11: Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty broad impact, but there are clearly some sectors which are hit the hardest. Uh, I would point to food and accommodation services, To retail services. Uh, We're seeing construction hit and transport as well. But by contrast, and this may surprise people, there are some sectors which are actually continuing to grow throughout the pandemic. Uh, uh, Finance is is, is doing well, financial services. Also, and this might be slightly less surprising, uh, information and communication sectors. They're doing quite well. So this really is an uneven impact. And if I could add to that by saying that, um, Uh, Those sectors of the workforce that have really taken a very, very heavy hit uh, are are women more than men and youth in particular. We're we're seeing a really terrible impact on young people who are already in a very vulnerable situation in labor markets, even before the uh, the virus hit us.
1: And uh, are there any signs of recovery emerging as yet?
11: Yeah, well, look, we we are looking uh, to to some signs of recovery. I I think we can look forward to a better year in in 2021. We've put in our report three scenarios, uh, a baseline scenario, uh, and then an optimistic and a a pessimistic one. I think what we can be encouraged by, uh, despite all of the uncertainties, uh, is that vaccines are being rolled out slowly, unevenly. We have the problems of the variants, so there is uncertainty, but I think... As we get a better hold on the pandemic and the virus we can look to growth but i'm afraid even under the most optimistic scenario for 2021 uh, we still won't have made up all of the jobs lost and the hours lost in in 2020 we'll still be behind the point of departure so we're in this for the long haul there's no doubt about that
1: all right and uh any recommendations as of yet
11: yeah, we've got a few um policy recommendations in our report. What we want to see is what we call a human centred recovery. So we've got to give uh the priority to people, to jobs, to their incomes, to their to their livelihoods. So we need to see governments um still adopting what we call expansionary macroeconomic policies, where they have the financial space to, to boost the economy, they should use it. Uh, secondly, we need much more international cooperation uh, in, in respect of this pandemic than we've seen up to now. That applies in respect of getting the vaccine out to people, but it also uh, matters in the economic and social field, debt relief and the like. I, I want to also emphasize, if you'll allow me, uh, the important of of social dialogue. Governments working with trade unions, working with the business community uh, to work out the right solutions for each country. You know, there there is no one-size-fits-all. And I think the best way to establish the best fit for any particular country uh, is to get the actors of the world to work together around the table and, and work it out together. There are undoubtedly tough and difficult decisions ahead, Uh, But, you know, you're liable to get the right ones if you involve everybody, and they have broader acceptance when you've been part of the decision-making process.
1: All right. Well, uh, Guy, thank you very much for joining us.
11: That's my pleasure. Thank you.
1: And that was the International Labour Organization's Director General, Guy Ryder, and he was on the line from Geneva in Switzerland.
5: Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story.
2: What we want to achieve is a healthy
4: and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment
5: to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit.
4: Last May, I asked constituencies at Netler to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussion have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles.
2: We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs.
12: Elf. I've been looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were periods experience and the, the level of education which I have.
4: Channel Africa
1: The month of January is dedicated to promoting veganism as a healthy eating option. The month is therefore dubbed Veganuary. Uh, which is a global challenge to eat more plant-based food and cutting out animal products from your diet for the first month of the year. Experts, however, do acknowledge that going vegan can be a very tough decision to make, especially if you're coming from a diet with meat in it. For more on this, Luluka Kabu spoke to South African Ironman champion and plant-based athlete Kyle Buckingham.
13: So my benefits uh, for me as an athlete, I, just, I feel that I recover a lot better. I've got a lot more energy throughout the day. And, um, it's also just a, it's just a nice change as well from, um, like eating meat, to being that heavy stomach. Um, so I, when I wake up in the morning, I'm not all, um, I don't feel as heavy as, you know, as I was when I was on a, on a meat diet. Uh, so I've been on a plant-based diet now for about a year and seven months. And I really felt the benefits in my training and my performance. Um, and yeah, it's really, it's really had a massive impact. And I've partnered with Fly's Family Group, and um, the transition has made it really, made it much easier. Um, you know, they've got so much variety and options, and you know, I just feel feel really good getting a lot of vegetables and and fruit, and you know, lots of colour in my food.
14: Now, Kyle, it's not exactly an easy challenge. Let's, uh, let's reflect on some of the difficulties that may be experienced and what the trick is. And, you know, when you think about um, women more especially going on, um, you know, a diet and uh, try this and try that, do that, don't eat this um, juice and so on, going vegan. Must be the most difficult thing for um, an individual who's used to eating meat on a daily basis. Yeah, no, it,
13: it definitely is. Um, my wife and I found the the, the you know when we went um, going vegan, well, plant based, we didn't. We we found it quite challenging at times. Like I definitely do. It it did miss biltong. That was my my favourite. That I just miss a lot, so you know, um, we we found really quick and easy meals to prepare. Um, like we went on to Pinterest, and Fry's family have uh, great recipes on their website too. Um, and also, you know, when you go shopping, you don't you don't see a bill that's racked up. Um, you know, quite, quite substantially. So um, there's definitely great benefits to it, but it's not a it's not an easy transition. But it's I wouldn't say it's a very hard a hard transition at all.
14: Let's speak about the price tag. Um, yeah, you know, okay. <laughs> we've seen. I mean, um, you you find the differences in in, in kale and uh, spinach, which could be kind of the same thing.
13: Yes, no, definitely, they they're great in the, in iron. Um, and what a lot of people don't realize, and they, and I get it quite often, is a lot of people say to me, "Well, where are you getting all?" Your protein intake in but i'm I'm still getting my my normal protein intake in but it's it's comes from more from from beans and lentils and um and a lot of vegetables have protein as well so broccoli a lot of people don't know that broccoli has a lot of protein in um and um yeah so it's it's uh, it's definitely been an amazing change, but you yeah, know talking about the price tag i really feel that Going plant based is a lot cheaper than uh, um, being on a meat diet. Um, people people assume that going vegan or plant based is an expensive way to live, and it's absolutely not true. You you um, it would be expensive if you're going to go and buy um, all these vegan bars and these juices and stuff. Um, but making a lot of things from home I and mean, just incorporating a lot of um, vegetables and fruit and rice and sweet potato that's not expensive at all so we've definitely we've cut probably half the amount that we used to spend in our weekly shops
14: okay we need tips how do we do it how do we get it right how do we um start um, you know cutting out the meat and uh, you know slowly but surely because it, it has to be a gradual process right
13: no, for sure. So we're very lucky. So if you, in in PE where I am, I found this um, most amazing place there. I went to, uh, I can go and buy bulk. So bulk, five kgs of rice, uh, a kg of black beans, a kg of you Soak it overnight. Um, you cook it in the morning for, let's say, an hour. And then we make our own hummus on tiki. Um, Buying bulk is probably when it comes to beans and lentils and rice and all that kind of stuff. That, that's definitely probably the best way forward. But I would say if you're going to transition into a plant-based diet, do it gradually. So have meat one or two days a week. And then what, we, what we've what really loved is we've been making um, black uh, black bean stew and a lentil curry. Um, we have a Thai green curry with our chicken, and we put like a meat alternative uh, fries product in there um, and then we have loads of vegetables so six seven types of vegetables in the in the and curry and we get all these recipes from pinterest and my wife does all the cooking but it's it's really it's not it's not as hard as a lot of people do think and you'll be surprised that by eating so much you know color on your plate you actually feel so good afterwards
1: and that's South African Ironman champion and plant based athlete Kyle Buckingham speaking to Lulu Gaboo. It's now time for your latest economics news. Here's Nocelya Zuma.
0: Thank you, Samora. Good evening. The International Labour Organization, ILO, says the equivalent of a quarter of a billion full-time jobs were lost last year as a result of the reduction in working hours due to the pandemic. It says that's about four times as many as the losses resulting from the global financial crisis of 2008. The ILO has reiterated that this has been the most severe crisis for the world of work since the Great Depression of the 19th. The BBC's Andrew Walker has more.
10: The ILO says the loss of jobs for some and fewer working hours for others led to an 8% loss of labour income last year, equivalent to more than $3.5 trillion, although that was partly offset by government support measures. Women and young people were especially hard hit by the loss of employment, which the report says highlights the risk of a lost generation. The ILO expects a recovery in 2021, particularly in the second half of the year as vaccines are administered. But it also warns that the rebound is likely to be uneven and uncertain.
0: South Africa's power utility, ESCOM, says it has not been affected by Cyclone Eloise. The tropical cyclone started off off-coast of Mozambique before moving inland affecting South Africa's neighbors, Zimbabwe, as well as Limpopo province, Bumalanga and Guazulu-Natal province. The power utility, which gets some of its electricity from the Kabora Basa Dam in Mozambique, says it will continue to monitor developments. ESCOM spokesperson, Sigonati Machat.
11: With the heavy rains continuing across Mpumalanga, Limpopo and parts of KwaZulu-Natal, ESCOM will continue to monitor the storm and its impact on operations. And should there be any need for any further communication, we will alert and inform the country timelessly.
0: A former senior manager at Boeing's 737 plant in Seattle, U.S., has raised new concerns over the safety of the company's 737 MAX aircraft. The aircraft, which was grounded after two crashes in which 346 people died, has already been cleared to resume flights in North America and Brazil and is expected to gain approval in Europe this week. The BBC's Theo Leggett has more.
11: Ed Pearson, a former senior manager on the 737 production line, says that both aircraft suffered electrical and flight control system problems in the days and weeks before the accidents. He believes these may have been symptoms of wider defects in the aircraft, which he links to production conditions at the 737 factory at the time they were built. He claims planes were being made too quickly and staff were overworked, and that other 737s may still be at risk. Boeing has previously insisted that any link between the accidents and the factory is completely
12: unfounded.
0: And finally, NGO Oxfam has calculated that the combined wealth of just 10 men has increased during the coronavirus pandemic by more than $400 US billion enough to pay for everyone in the world to be vaccinated. Those listed among the top 10 billionaires are Amazon's Jeff Bezos, Tesla's founder Elon Musk, Microsoft's Bill Gates and Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. The BBC's Caroline Howley has more. The charity says that a super-rich elite have amassed vast amounts of money while jobs are lost around the world and billions of people struggle to feed their families. And yet the increased wealth of just 10 men would, it says, not only pay for vaccines for the whole planet, but also reverse the rise in poverty caused by coronavirus. Instead of cutting aid as the UK is planning, Oxfam's calling on countries to raise funds from those who've profited most during the pandemic. Last month, Argentina's parliament approved a one-off tax on the super-rich to help pay for the economic costs of coronavirus. And for financial indicators, one U.S. dollar is trading at 379.54 Nigerian Nara, 10.83 Botswana Pula, 109.61 Kenyan Shilling, and 21.32 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, the U.S. dollar is trading at 5.46 Brazilian rule, 75.26 Russian ruble, 72.90 Indian rupees, 649 Chinese yuan, and at 15.12 South African rent. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 73 pence to the British pound and 82 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at $1,863.00 Platinum at $1,112 per ounce, while Brent crude oil is at $55.60 a barrel. For Channel Africa, I'm Nusilhezum.
1: Now for your latest sport, here's Neto Chimane.
12: With the latest Channel Africa sports news at this hour, I'm Neto and Eto Chamani From the sports desk, a very good afternoon. Starting off with Olympics news. They say it takes one to know one. And with the tokyo olympics around the corner who better talk about the experience of the summer games than a former olympian Humphrey kayange former captain of the kenya national sevens rugby team participated in the rio 2016 olympics and looks ahead to tokyo but of course this time from the other side of the fence because he is now retired and representing athletics
7: 2016 was a good year for us we had just won the singapore sevens and we uh, and we were looking at uh, the olympic games to go out there and, and do well unfortunately at the games as it is with sport we got there and we we didn't perform as we as we had done uh, in previous tournaments um I, th- I think for that was a lesson learned i think it's very good that there are players who are in still who played in rio who might be in tokyo um, this year and 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 for them i think they'll pick up the lessons and pass them on to the uh, young lads who are coming through We've seen the team being, being very exciting in the last two years. Before COVID, I think under Innocent, they came really close. Uh, they had two uh, cup finals, a few semifinals. So the team has sort of uh, blended and come together well. And uh, looking at Tokyo um, this year and the work that they've started doing, uh, we're really optimistic that they will go out there and give a better account.
12: Meanwhile, the National Olympic Committee of Kenya, NOC, has entered into a partnership with a local gaming company, the Kenya charity Sweepstakes, with the collaboration set to benefit Kenyan Olympians. The deal that will run until 2024 will see NOC get 10% of the Kenya charity Sweepstakes net game revenues. The funds would be used in preparing athletes for the upcoming Tokyo 2020 Olympics in Japan and other events beyond, including the 2024 Olympics in France. The Secretary-General of the National Olympic Committee is Francis Kituku.
4: We've been saying we need to get our athletes training. The money we've been uh, availed to the athletes have been direct scholarships, which meant we had to give that money directly to them for their own individual training. But in terms of Team Kenya, we were still looking around for money. And therefore, what this does is that we can be able to plan immediately to get our teams to start training, especially the team sport. When you talk of rugby uh, and volleyball, the team sport has been a struggle to get them all together, to get a venue, a venue which is uh, COVID 19 protocol compliant, to get the technical teams around.
12: The lottery company kickstarted the partnership by donating 100,000 US dollars. To the local olympics committee for immediate kitty needs for the tokyo games preparations despite recent rumors that the tokyo 2020 games may be postponed entirely the president of the international olympics committee ioc thomas bach insisted they are ready and have no reason to look back
11: all the prospects uh, are uh, good we are working hard and uh, these uh, games uh, the first priority will be about to make them safe and secure for all
4: participants
12: the government in kilimanjaro region in tanzania said it will continue supporting kilimanjaro marathon due to its vital role in improving the region's economy and global level tourism The promise was made over the weekend in Moshi, Kilimanjaro, by the regional commissioner, Anam Guira. During the annual event's official launch, she was represented by the Moshi district commissioner, Alhaj Rajabu Gundia. Kilimanjaro region is the host of the now one-of-the-world-class athletics race. And finally in basketball news. After parting ways with Serbian Vladimir Bozjak, who resigned from his position as head coach, the Rwanda Basketball Federation Ferruaba appointed Tanzanian tactician Henry Winuka to replace him on an interim basis in December 2020. Winuka's appointment came at a time when the team seeks to strengthen their preparedness for next month's Afro Basket Window 2 qualifiers, having put an abysmal performance in Window 1 that was held in Kigali in November 2020. Minuka will lead the national team into the qualifiers window two scheduled between February the 17th to the 21st in Tunisia, and he will be assisted by Karim Ngusi, former APR basketball team head coach. Channel Africa with sports from an African perspective. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and Etio Chemani.
0: This is Africa Digest.
1: That wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. Taking us to the top of the hour is Morwa by Jonas Kwangwa. We'll see you again later, 1900 hours, Central African time. <laughs>